Welcome everyone to Monday Match Analysis. I'm Gil Gross. It's got to be one of the biggest shows of the year, always is. Post-Madrid, pre-Rome, French Open power rankings, Rome preview, breaking down, uh, in, to a certain extent, Alcaraz and Zverev in the final. I'm not going to do technical analysis on that match. It's just, you know, for obvious reasons, it, it, wasn't, it wasn't a good match, and I have no interest in breaking down the nuances of what went down in the match, but there are interesting takeaways. What did we learn about Carlos Alcaraz? The ascent continues. It is a Masters 1000 title on his home soil. He becomes the first player ever to beat Djokovic and Nadal um, on clay in the same event. And, God, the, the whole title run was impressive. Basilashvili, Nori, Nadal, Djokovic, Zverev in Madrid. By far Zverev's best event. There were circumstances regarding the schedule that I will uh, discuss as well. But uh, what do we learn about Carlos? And then I also do want to talk about some of the stuff going on with Zverev. Alcaraz also withdrawing from Rome. I'll hit on that real quick as well. Uh, So let's jump right into it. Beginning with the French Open power rankings. uh, I did kind of mess up last time and I didn't read them off for any of you guys who listen on audio. But uh, these were the power rankings on May 1st. And in Madrid... There's going to be a lot of shakeup. There is. I will warn you right now. Rafael Nadal is back. Where is he going to go into these power rankings? Carlos Alcaraz at number three. Where will he end up? Well, I'm ready to reveal that. And this time I will read them off uh, for everybody listening. So the French Open power rankings as of May 9th are as followed. Carlos Alcaraz at number one. Nadal at number two. Djokovic at three. Tsitsipas at four, Zverev at five, Rublev at six, Sinner at seven, uh, Schwartzman at eight, Rude at nine, Ketsmanovic at ten, Cam Nori drops out to the next out category, Davidovich Fakina, Hubert Hurkacz, and Felix Ojealiasim are also in the next out. And then still on the shelf with injury are Matteo Berrettini and Daniil Medvedev, who I did see practicing this week. Um, so I, I think he might play Roland Garros, actually, Medvedev. I don't know. He's practicing on clay is, is all I can say. Okay, let's go through this now. Alcaraz at number one. Look, he has won titles in three out of the last four main draws he's entered. He is the only player who has beaten basically all of the significant players in the power rankings. Okay, look at the players below him. Nadal, Djokovic, Tsitsipas, Zverev. He's got a win over all of them. He's beaten all of them. And that kind of forces your hand. Now, look, here's going to be the knock on Alcaraz. The two biggest events most similar to Roland Garros are Monte Carlo and Rome. He lost first round at Monte Carlo on a windy day to Corda, and he's not playing Rome. And without a lot of previous Roland Garros results to really go back on, you could make an argument that Alcaraz uh, does lack a little bit of that security in knowing that he can do really well at the biggest events that are most similar to RG. That's the only knock. Other than that, everything points to him being number one this week in the power rankings. But I do think that an impressive showing by one of the players below him, I get the feeling that, that maybe his number one spot is vulnerable, even though uh, he's not, you know, or because he's not playing Rome. Uh, or despite him not playing Rome. Okay, Nadal is at number two. He enters the French Open Power Rankings, and he comes in at number two. 
this is a combination of obviously his long-term clay court history and what he showed us at the start of 2022. The spectacular play, the spectacular tennis that he came up with uh, until that Indian Wells final when the rib injury derailed him. And between coming back from injury and Madrid being a place that he's really struggled, especially recently, comparatively and relatively, I just wasn't going to put too much stock into what Nadal did at Madrid. He pretty much could have done whatever, and I think he would have been fine. I mean, maybe if he lost to Ketsmanovic right away, then Djokovic slash Tsitsipas could have been above him. But uh, it's really going to be Rome where Nadal's level is going to be assessed on a more uh, harsh basis. Uh, so right now he's at number two. I could understand if, if you feel like Djokovic should have that spot. It is close, and the argument would be, okay, look, he's the defending Roland Garros champion, and he beat Nadal, and he looked better last week in Madrid. And that would be the argument to put Djokovic above. But I, um, for the reasons previously mentioned, I weighed it. I think Nadal gets that number two spot. Djokovic comes in at number three. He's looking better and better each week. Tsitsipas comes in at number four. Look, uh, again, it's, it's Madrid. So that's the, those are the conditions that Zverev is going to have uh, an edge over him. But still, he loses to Zverev and Nadal enters and Djokovic looks good. And, you know, that's basically why Tsitsipas ends up moving down three spots. Even Alcaraz jumps above him. Um, so, you know, uh, he's at number four. And again, I think it's tight. Then there's a drop-off. Number five is Zverev, but he moves up two spots. He kind of recovers his form. Uh, Madrid is by far his best event. Now he's got to show that he can still beat top competition outside of those kind of weird Madrid conditions that suit him oh so well. Um, Rublev at number six. Sinner at number seven. He got blown out by, by FAA. Uh, he moves down three spots. Uh, Schwartzman at number eight, Rude at number nine, Ketsmanovic at number 10. That actually didn't change. Uh, they all mo moved down one spot, but that's just because of Nadal pretty much uh, being inserted. So, I mean, none of that changes. None of them were impressive last week. Uh, none of them went on runs, but Schwartzman is terrible in Madrid always. It just, he doesn't play well there. Uh, Ketsmanovic played Nadal right away. Um, and Rude took another bad loss, but I can't really put him lower than nine right now. If he suffers another defeat um, early in Rome, then God, I, I couldn't imagine this before clay court season, but maybe Rude does fall out of the French Open power rankings. I don't know. Um, and then Nori, Davidovich, Bikina, Hercotch. Hercotch made a quarterfinal again. That's what I thought he would do, but it, it's Madrid where the serve is going to help him a ton. He's got to show it to me again in Rome, which I know is asking a lot of him because he already had a good run in Monte Carlo in Madrid, but I'm just not really buying it from, for Hercotch. And what's really kind of, what, what hurts him is he went one and four last season on the clay. And I don't, I don't forget that. And that that's factored in here. Uh, OJ Aliasim is back in the next out category after again, uh, being much better in Madrid, but servers condition, same thing with Hercotch. He's got to do it outside of Madrid. Uh, okay. Now, uh, I want to talk about Alcaraz. One last look at the, the French Open Power Rankings for those watching on YouTube. And with that, I am ready to move on to Alcaraz. After a quick shout out to Player Court, the place to go if you are looking for a local coach, practice partner, or match. Look, lessons, tennis lessons are expensive. I, I assure you, 
If you're having trouble finding a coach, if you don't want to drop the bag and you want a discounted price on coaching, uh, go to Player Court and you will find local coaches. You can hand select them and, and it will be a, uh, at a discounted rate, almost guaranteed from what, you're, what you would usually play, okay? Or pay, rather. Playercourt.com slash Gilgross is the place to go if you would like a 50% off discount to join the Player Court community. That link is in the description. Um, Carlos blows out Zverev in the final. I believe it is 6-3-6-1. Let me just check that real quick. I think my main takeaway, it is 6-3-6-1. I think my main takeaway here is I keep waiting for Alcaraz to get nervous, to play tight. And look, he's played some bad matches. Okay, we, we have seen that before uh, this year in his career, whatever it may be. He does have a, an erratic style, a high-octane style. He, doesn't, he isn't very good at dialing it back when things aren't really going well for him, but usually he doesn't need to. Uh, we've seen him play overexcited at times as well. Uh, that was kind of my take on the Berrettini match at the Australian Open, where I, I felt like for two sets he was trying to hit a perfect shot on every ball, and he was missing like crazy. And I just thought he was too pumped up, too, too excited for the moment. You know, just calm down, right? Uh, deep breaths. Don't let the adrenaline and the excitement get the better of you, right? But I haven't really seen him nervous. And what does that look like? Uh, I haven't seen him be afraid to go for his shots. I haven't seen him play ridiculously silly drop shots when, you know, the, the occasion wouldn't call for it and his brain kind of malfunctions and he goes for a, a silly one, uh, you know, one that, one that would be classified as poor shot selection in a, in a tight spot in a big moment. Uh, I just, I haven't seen him, you know, I haven't seen his footwork go away or I haven't seen him decelerate in big moments. Like all these things that we see from players who get nervous and usually the result is deceleration and passivity. That, th those are the most common side effects and bad footwork. Uh, you just, I haven't seen that yet. I really haven't. And I'll hearken back to the conversation I had with Chris Lewitt uh, talking about Nadal and Alcaraz. I, it was sometime, maybe, maybe two or so weeks after the Australian Open. And, you know, Chris, who, who was my coach and a Spanish tennis expert, uh, was looking at Alcaraz and was saying, Gil, look, he's got every single skill and attribute that you could possibly want. Everything. But the one thing we don't know about Carlos Alcaraz, and we can't know this, is how is he going to play when the chips are down, when he has expectation, he's playing the very best in the world, at the biggest events in the world, in the biggest matches at the end of these tournaments. I mean, look, complicated way to say, how's he going to handle the pressure? How's he going to play in the highest pressure of situations? And, you know, Chris was right at that time. We didn't know that. Now he's won a Masters 1000 tournament in Miami. And that was kind of the beginning of Carlos Alcaraz is a top player, is elite, and is ready to do, you know, contend for every, every draw he's in. He's a contender right now. Well, now he goes to his home country. He has that expectation on him. 
He's in Spain. He's in Madrid. He beats Nadal as an underdog, really. Uh, even if that, whatever the odds say, okay, he's, you know, he beats Nadal, he beats Djokovic. Now he's playing Zverev. He's in Madrid. Still, nothing. I still haven't seen him nervous. When am I going to see him nervous? Is that going to happen? Uh, Tsitsipas even talked about that, that he's, he's playing with such freedom and, and a, a joy, uh, unencumbered by, by uh, the, the usual kind of forces, the negative forces that nerves tend to put on a player. And that just hasn't happened. Well, let's take a look at the numbers, okay? 9-0 uh, in his last nine finals. It's hard to measure nerves and how a player handles nerves, but he has been unbelievable in finals. Let's just forget the three challenger titles that he won um, in 2020 and at the start of 2021. Uh, first tour level final in Umag, he beats Gaz K 6-2-6-2. Next gen finals, fast four format. I know you take that with a grain of salt. Beats Korda in straight sets. Rio plays Schwartzman, wins 6 4, 6 2. Rude in Miami. He beats him 7 5, 6 4. Carreño Busta in Barcelona. He wins 6 3, 6 2. Zverev in Madrid. He wins 6 3, 6 1. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me with these score lines? I mean, congratulations to Demir Zoomer for taking a set off of Alcaraz in the final of the Barcelona Challenger in October 2020. Because that is the last time Carlos Alcaraz has lost a set in a final. This man just doesn't seem to be cracking under the pressure. I still haven't really seen him nervous. Overexcited? Yes. Playing poorly? Yes. Nervous? Not really. That is just as important as any skill or attribute that he may have. And, you know, he's continuing to answer questions. What about another question? The best of five question? Uh, let's address that now. What does all this success mean? Is he going to kind of let off as soon as we get to best of five? Not seeing anything that suggests that. Not seeing anything that suggests that if you lengthen the format, that is going to lessen who he is at a pl as a player. In fact, everything I'm seeing suggests that it'll help him. He's played in the two longest best of three matches of the season. Dimonor, Barcelona semifinal, and um, Djokovic in the Madrid semifinal. Those are the two longest best three matches of the season. So he's won both of those. On two occasions, the rain has made it so that he's had to play two matches in one um, in one day. He's 4-0 in those situations. Happened in Rio and Barcelona. Had to play four sets both of those days. So where are we finding that best of five is going to be an impediment for this guy? Where are we seeing that? We're not. We're absolutely not seeing that. Uh, I understand, you know, some people want to see it until they believe it. That's fine. Go for it. But none of the evidence, he doesn't wear down physically. He doesn't, his focus doesn't tend to go in and out during the course of a match. 
Um, I'm not seeing anything that suggests that best of five is going to affect Alcaraz's chances negatively. Now, what did he do this week beating Djokovic and Nadal? Well, you can say for, for sure, for certain, that if he's going to do that at Roland Garros, he's going to get a better version of Nadal, and he's going to get a better version of Djokovic. So it's going to be harder if, if he had to do that again. No doubt about that. But the best of five format, that does not look to be an impediment. He's withdrawn from Rome now, and I have more compliments for that, really. Uh, it reminds me of, well, look, now, first of all, he, he has an ankle issue right now. He needs to recover physically. He said that he had trouble walking on Sunday morning. It was obviously fine for the match with the adrenaline. Uh, obviously, he rolled his ankle against Nadal in the second set, and I think he's still feeling the effects of that. So, uh, but, but still, we've seen that Alcaraz is, and his team, very willing to be disciplined and smart about their schedule. And remember how 2022 started for Alcaraz, skipping the Australian Open lead-ups to work on his body and get more time in the gym. Wasn't that a wise decision? I think so. Yes, it was. And then here, uh, focusing on recovery, valuing taking care of the body, which we're seeing in every sport across all sports, that is what the science is telling these players to do. And some players are not with that yet, top players. Because I understand a lot of players don't have the option. A lot of players don't have the option. But you know what? Some do. You know, team, Rublev, Tsitsipas, I maintain they play too much. And it's not what's best for their bodies. And they need to take a look at what Rafa, Roger, and Novak, and I know they're younger, doesn't matter. I think they need to take a look at what those guys have done, how they've preserved their bodies to play longer and longer and to show up to every event mentally and physical at 100%. And that should be something that is copied. Alcaraz is copying it. Now, I, I, I am taking some heat on Twitter uh, today, and I hate that I'm addressing this, but I'll try not to spend too much time on it, uh, about a uh, supposed double standard about Alcaraz withdrawing after the draw was made. And should I have an issue with that? Because I said that Djokovic shouldn't have done that in, in India Wells and he should have withdrawn before the draw was made. And uh, some people are saying it's a double standard. And I disagree. I think the circumstances are completely different. I think that the draw for Rome was made on Friday, the day of Alcaraz's quarterfinal. He would have had you know, no reason to withdraw at that time. I could have lost to Nadal. He didn't know how the ankle was going to be. There was no, you know, so it would have been impossible for him to withdraw beforehand. Uh, nonetheless, he's withdrawing for physical reasons the day of his last match at the previous event. And it's really not his problem that the scheduling is what it is. And um, I just see absolutely no issue with withdrawing for physical reasons as soon as you can, uh, because it would have been unrealistic for him to withdraw any sooner. Um, which is very different and just not the same circumstance as Djokovic uh, hoping that CDC guidelines change effective immediately in a 24-hour window between the draw and, uh, sorry, 48-hour window between the draw and first ball, which was never going to happen and was completely unrealistic and therefore, in my opinion, was just a, a very unnecessary and avoidable situation. That's it. So completely different situations. If you can't see how they're different, then um, I can't help you because they're, they're clearly not the same. Uh, they're just completely different. So, 
Uh, okay, uh, Zverev complained about the schedule. Let's address that. Zverev said that uh, the Madrid schedule was uh, was problematic and he had no chance to be his best for the final. And uh, I think he has a point. So let me just read you guys what he said. He said, uh, it's the AT... Uh, the ATP's job was an absolute disgrace this week. Two days ago, I went to bed at 4, 4.30 a.m. Yesterday, I went to bed at 5.20 a.m. You know, if a normal person goes to bed one night at 4 a.m., the next night at 5 a.m., it will be a tough time just to be awake for them. And for me to play a final against Carlos Alcaraz, who for me is the best player in the world right now, in a Masters 1000 event the next day, it is difficult. Today on court, I'm a little bit... Now I'm a little bit angry, I would say, because I had no coordination today. I had no coordination on my serve. I had no coordination on my ground strokes. I missed two overheads that were super easy because I, I see the ball and everything is moving in my eyes. I don't want to take anything away. And today, obviously, even if I'm fresh, I probably would not have beat Carlos, but definitely would be a better match. At the end of the day, I think all of us have stayed up a little late. All of us maybe partied sometimes, but if you're staying up until 4 a.m., the next day you are dead. I played the next day. If you're doing it again the next day until 5 a.m., you will have a difficult time to even be awake. Uh, so, you know, he goes on. He continues to ramble about the very same thing, but you get the picture. He's right. He's right. Uh, this kind of just deserves to be discussed. Um, that's tough. Uh, the Madrid scheduling just seemed like a total mess, uh, you know, from start to finish. It, it, there's no cohesion in the tournament. Uh, the women, you know, it's a it's a... 10, 11-day uh, event for the women and a 7-day event for the men completely buries the, the women's tournament in the second week. You, you play the men's semifinal and then the women's final in between them and then another men's semifinal, uh, which, which also seems a little bit disjointed. I mean, there just seems to be so many solutions for this. There seems to be a thing, though, where the, the locals in Madrid are used to um, that, you know, late-night schedule, Right. And Real, you know, I hear Real Madrid games start very, very late, and nightlife in in Madrid and in Barcelona starts at like midnight, right? Now, I've never been to Spain. I don't know if these things are true, but um, you know, it's the ATP's license. There should probably be some regulations. You know, this goes back to wild, wild West tennis. That uh, you know, the ATP gets to set the guidelines of uh, how, a tor how tournaments under their promotion or their license have to be operated. And uh, there should probably be some rules about that. So uh, I don't have much to say about this. I just wanted to m more than not uh, throw it out there. But yeah, I mean, Zverev was playing super late. And I mean, Madrid scheduling just, it, it seems like, uh, it seems very chaotic. There doesn't seem to be any cohesion there. And it's a tournament where they have roofs on three courts. So it should be a, a beautiful tournament when it comes to scheduling. You never have to worry about rain throwing off um, any of the tennis, which is great. But uh, that's unfortunate, right? And uh, it can happen again. And that really, it, it shouldn't be like that. Because what Zverev is complaining about is, is valid. All right, it is time for a preview, a quarter-by-quarter -quarter preview of Rome. Last Masters event before Roland Garros, 
and uh, probably my favorite, probably my favorite a thousand. I think so. It's really awesome. I love all the courts mostly is the reason. And it feels significant in the spot of the calendar that it is. It feels, feels very important. So those things are all good. Let's start with the number one seed, Novak Djokovic's quarter. There is Djokovic, FAA, Schwartzman, and Opelka, who already lost to, uh, to Stan Wawrinka with his first really big win of 2022. So um, huge win for, and he came back from down a set and a break, so big for him. My uh, dark horse in this section is once again Mimir Ketsmanovic. I actually kind of like that Ketsmanovic lost early in Madrid to Nadal, put up a good fight in the second set, and uh, you know had some chances, but uh, ultimately lost in straights. That was a round two match. Played so much tennis recently that Ketsmanovic definitely can use a little bit of time to breathe here. So he now comes into Rome, and it's going to be a very, very fascinating first-round matchup with Diego Schwartzman, which is my early popcorn match. Uh, that should be such a good one. And I think that if he's able to beat Schwartzman, and I, I make Schwartzman a slight favorite in that match, but I think Ketsmanovic has a good chance. If he can do that, I think he's got a great chance to advance to the quarterfinal in the bottom half of the draw, opposite Djokovic, with Felix Auger-Aliassime, who is on upset alert for me. I um, he, he looked good in Madrid. That's great. But um, Rome is going to be much, much slower. His serve is going to be much less effective. And uh, he does not have an easy section here. Alejandro Davidovich Bikina will be his first match in the second round. That's difficult. That's a great returner. That's someone who's going to uh, certainly be willing to extend rallies and defend, and FA is going to have to be patient and consistent. That's a matchup that concerns me a little bit for Felix. And then in round three, unless Marcos Giron can pull off an upset, it will be Schwartzman or Ketsmanovic, two players in the French Open power rankings who I regard very highly higher than Felix on this surface. So uh, upset alert for FAA. Uh, Djokovic will have Karatsev in his first match in Rome. Uh, Karatsev and Lloyd Harris, that's a match between two players struggling immensely. And uh, I, I don't think that should be difficult for Karatsev, uh, sorry, for Djokovic, even though he has a win, uh, sorry, a loss against Karatsev in Belgrade. I think Djokovic will comfortably avenge that then Laszlo Jara and Stan Wawrinka. It's a nice section for Djokovic where he should be able to get some momentum and his feet wet, hopefully without too much trouble if you are Novak Djokovic. So my quarterfinal is Djokovic defeats Diego Schwartzman. Djokovic is looking better and better and better, and Rome is a place where he has been absolutely fantastic throughout his career. It is his, uh, his win percentage is, I believe, 86%. Phenomenal. He... Uh, he almost never loses before the, the weekend in Rome. Let's go to Rafael Nadal's quarter now. The top seeds are Nadal, Rude, Herkoc, and Shapovalov. My dark horse is Botic von de Zanschkulp. I know I've spoken about von de Zanschkulp. I think it was a couple of Monday match analyses ago. I really like what I'm seeing from him. Uh, I'm loving the movement. I'm loving the scrambling. His serve is uh, a weakness on quicker surfaces. I think that the clay helps minimize that weakness because he's able to get a lot of returns in play and break serve a lot. Uh, very, very consistent ball. He's generating off of his forehand side. 
I think it's wonderful stuff from Botic. And he, he crushes Sebastian Corda in the first round earlier today. Uh, and now he gets Casper Ruud. So once again, dark horse, early popcorn match. Round two, Casper Ruud against Botic van de Zanschkolp. Uh, that should be an interesting one. Casper Ruud has lost it. Uh, I don't... He's just... He's missing too many forehands. He... Um, that's the big problem. It's his best weapon. He hasn't been consistent enough. He's not hitting the ball cleanly. He doesn't have confidence. He... Um, he, he looks like a deer in the headlights a little bit. And uh, I can't say I have an amazing read on what the problem is. I don't. He keeps losing before I even have a chance to watch him in a lot of cases. But uh, something is wrong. A lot of bad losses recently, and Botic is not going to be easy for him. Upset alert is Hubert Hercotch. Hercotch, credit to him. He's had an amazing clay court season. Monte Carlo quarterfinal. Madrid quarterfinal. Um, I'm just not that impressed with what I've seen from him outside of uh, the results. Because the results have been great, but I've watched a lot of his matches and I really do think that he's riding the coattails of his serve, which is not a bad thing. And that's a great thing for when he moves on to the grass. Great signs for him for when he moves on to the grass. But uh, I, I just think that it's going to catch up to him. And he's on upset alert for me. I will, be, I will be very, you know, let's see if he proves me wrong here. And with a good run in Rome... Now, you know, you can't really say much if, if he does great in Rome because now it's all three masters on clay. You, you, you start to not be able to say anything about the results and, and they are what they are. But for now, I'm not really a buyer in them. Although I, I will keep in mind how well he's serving. And I will keep that in mind when we move to grass. Uh, David Gafan, tough first round matchup for Hercotch. Jensen Brooksby awaits round two. I don't know if that's tough or not. Hard to hard to say with Brooksby on the clay. Uh, I'm not I'm not really sure, but definitely Gafan is is difficult. So let's see what happens there. Um, and I already talked about my early popcorn. So let's go to now the quarterfinal. I have Rafael Nadal beating Botic van de Zanschkolp. I am gonna pick my dark horse to actually make the quarterfinal. I know a lot of the time I don't do that. I still pick the seed, uh, but no. I like Botic. I think I, I, I'm believing in him to actually beat Casper Ruud here. Um, maybe Casper will have a similar clay court season to, to Schwartzman last year. Remember, Schwartzman couldn't win a match, could not win a match. But then Roland Garros, he was better, and he, uh, I think he made the quarters, or at least the round of 16. So maybe that'll happen for, uh, for Casper, hopefully for his sake. Um, let me just take a look at what Nadal has here. Um, Rafa... Uh-oh. Sorry. Rafa has um, winner of Sarundalo and John Isner in round two, which I think is close to a 50-50. Sarundalo qualified. He's very dangerous. Uh, Basilishvili and Shapovalov are also there. So what I see for Nadal is uh, a lot of uncomfortable matches, you know, massive hitters. In, in Rome, I mean, you'd think that's kind of, it's going to be kind of easy picking. It's not, it's, it's weird opponents. It's uncomfortable opponents, but not really threatening opponents for Nadal up until the quarterfinal. Um, and then, you know, between him and, and Botic, um, uh, I, I think Nadal's got a, a pretty good and favorable quarter here. 
I think he should be pretty pleased overall. So as you can see, I'm putting Nadal through. I'm putting Djokovic through. I think we're going to get it. I do. Stefano Tsitsipas's quarter. It's stacked. Tsitsipas, Rublev, Sinner, and Carreño Busta are the top seeds. Dark Horse, none. Uh, none of the unseeded players I was really excited about. Upset alert, Carreño Busta. Look, PCB playing some good tennis. He is, but the nerves are killing him. He is losing every single close match. Besides, actually, he played one against... Uh, played one in Barcelona that I, I don't know if it was against Sinner or what. No, it wasn't against Sinner. He did save match points recently, and he won a close match. Other than that, he keeps losing from match point up. He keeps losing close matches. And uh, I think there's a lot of scar tissue building up for Carreño Busta, which is it's tough because he really is playing pretty well. He's just getting way too tight in big moments, and for that reason, he's on upset alert for me. Early popcorn match for me is um, it was tough for me. It's it's Fanini versus the winner of Sinner and Martinez. Fanini with a good win over Dominic Team. This was I think Team's best performance of his comeback, uh, but Fanini gets the better of him. Uh, Fanini's very good in Rome. Usually, uh, he's he's excellent here. He generally doesn't doesn't uh, you know go to the semis or, or win it. But but he he always has very consistent results in Rome, and he has the crowd behind him and he's focused and he's motivated and that makes a big difference for Fanini. He's cut from the same cloth as like a Gail Monfils or a Benoit pair where the crowd really helps them. Sinner. Um, or Martinez against Fanini in, in Rome. I think that, that's my popcorn. Quarterfinal, I'm going with Yannick Sinner defeating Stefano Tsitsipas. Now, this is the quarter that I, I feel most uncertain about. I could see a lot of, a lot of different things happening between Tsitsipas and Rublev and Sinner. I'm actually kind of bummed out because uh, we've seen these matchups a, a lot, I feel like, over the clay court season. And, uh, you know, we just saw Tsitsipas and Rublev, and we, we saw Rublev and Sinner. We, I feel like we keep seeing that. I, I think we saw it in Monte Carlo. Uh, I, I'd, I'd like to, we've seen Carreño Busta and Sinner, if we end up seeing that matchup. It's like, I, I just don't like this quarter because it, it seems like we're uh, repeating stuff here. But I do have faith in Yannick Sinner. Look, I, I did not have high hopes for him come Madrid. Um, I'm always weary of Italians in Madrid, and I'm, uh, I'm it, servers' conditions never really help Yannick Sinner. But here in Rome, on the slow clay, I think he's ready to make his first run in Rome. It has not been a great hunting ground for him, despite him having a ton of experience on these courts. But I have noticed throughout the season, Sinner is starting to do a great job of using crowds to his advantage. He will obviously have that here, and I think hopefully he's recovered physically to an extent that we haven't quite seen for a while with his body broken down, and between the crowd on his side, his body healed up, and the way he's striking the tennis ball, and how tough he's been, the match toughness he's shown in 2022, uh, I believe he's ready for a signature result. Uh, Pass will obviously be, would, would be very tough in the quarterfinal, uh, but I do believe that uh, Sinner's big hitting and his heavy ball 
can uh, bother Tsitsipas and can can attack that backhand defense in rally to an extent where perhaps Sinner can have some success in that matchup, if we do see that. So I put Sinner through. Let's move on now to the final quarter. It is Alexander Zverev's quarter. The top seeds are Zverev and Nuri. There are no other seeds in the quarter. This would have been Carlos Alcaraz. He pulled out. Lucky loser comes in. It's Emil Roussevori. And uh, this would have been the quarter with three seeds in it, which uh, is always the case. There's always... Well, actually, I don't really understand. To be honest, I'm not sure why there are two seeds. But there are only two seeds, okay? So it is a, a barren wasteland this quarter. This quarter is atrocious. It's not good. Because the unseeded players, they're not all that great, especially in Nori's section. There, there's some good ones in Zverev's section, okay? So, so let, let's, let's get into this here. Um, Dark Horse, Sebastian Baez, Alex DiMinori. You know what? Two players who I, uh, I really do have my eye on right now. DiMinori is starting to look very comfortable on the clay. Sebastian Baez, you know how I feel about him. I talked to him a couple of, uh, I talked about him a couple of weeks back. Uh, Baez could play Zverev round two. Okay, it's uh, it's going to be Baez against uh, Talon Griegspor, another qualifier in round one. Winner takes on Zverev. It's going to be Demonor against Tommy Paul. Tommy Paul's been a dark horse for me in the past. Okay, I, I do respect what Tommy Paul can do at his best, even on the clay. Uh, so that could be a good matchup as well. That is in Zverev's section. So I believe there are some legitimate contenders in Zverev's section, some, some players who I do regard quite highly as let's say, top 20 players on the clay. Nori's section, I mean, there's, there's nothing here. There's Emil Roussevori, who is much better on a hard court than he is on clay. There's Christian Garin, who is, I mean, he, he's had one good result in the last year, it feels like, which was Houston. That's it. You have Marin Cilic, who's good in Madrid. This is way too slow for... Marin Cilic at the age that he is in to have success. Way too slow. You have Cam Nori playing uh, Italian wildcard Luca Nardi here. I mean, there is nothing to really challenge Nori here, in my opinion. Uh, so I, I know I'm kind of giving away uh, what my quarterfinal is going to be, but that for a Masters 1000, 56 draw, I mean, that is really, really weak. Quarterfinals, Zverev defeats Nori. Um, now look, I think... Oh, and my upset alert is Alexander Zverev. Uh, here's how I describe this for, for Zverev. I think the first round, the first match could be tough for him. We have seen him have sort of letdowns uh, week to week after title runs. In fact, there's been a pattern in his career where he has lost first round on a couple of occasions after winning titles. Uh, we saw that after he won, just one off the top of my head. He won Acapulco last year, lost first round to, to Roussevori the next week in uh, Miami, right? That, that's an example. Um, I think he is a player who can kind of build in excuses for himself, can kind of be a victim of some extenuating circumstances, can fall victim to fatigue sometimes. So, uh, and, you know, this is no Madrid. Zverev is much better in Madrid than he is on other clay. But he is also very, very good on other clay. And uh, he, he is a former champion here in Rome. So, you know, it, it's, 
there's certainly you can go both ways. I do think that uh, Baez or Grieg Spore is not would not be particularly biased, but neither would be a particularly easy first round. So I have Zverev on upset alert. After that, and I still think he wins. After that, I can't really see him losing to uh, Demonor or Tommy Paul or, or something like that. So um, I put him through. Or, or Nori, by the way. I can't see him losing to Nori either. So I do put him through, but I also have him on upset alert. Okay? Both things can be true. Now let's get to the final weekend, shall we? All right? Ready? Are you sure? Here it is. Nadal defeats Djokovic in three sets. Sinner defeats Zverev in three sets. Nadal defeats Sinner in two sets. I am feeling good about the level that Rafael Nadal will bring here. I'm, I'm, feeling, I'm feeling high about it. Um, I'm also feeling good about the level that Novak Djokovic is going to bring. Um, I think that Nadal is going to have a little bit more built-in confidence. Um, it's a tough call. I don't feel strongly about it if this match happens. Obviously, before the match, I'll have different feelings based on how they've looked. Um, but... I also want to see what um, Djokovic's early aggression looks like um, in these slower conditions, which might it, it might take him more time to build that up. Um, I also need to see Nadal play, obviously, a lot better than he did last week in Madrid. Uh, it's hard to say. I'm going with Nadal. Uh, is there a bit of a, a revenge factor, a motivational factor in there? You know, is Nadal does Nadal come into the match with more bulletin board material? Than Novak does, I think so, and and maybe that's weighing into to my gut uh, feeling Nadal in in that semifinal. So I'm gonna leave it at that. I'm gonna leave it at that. Uh, Sinner over Zverev. Um, I still feel like Zverev is vulnerable at times in in some of the on some of these big occasions, and I do think fatigue would start to play a factor, uh, a big time factor. In fact, I mostly have Zverev moving on because of his draw. Let's face it, mostly because of his draw. And I think as soon as he plays a worthy opponent, I'm not really, I don't really love him this week to, at the end of the day. So Sinner moves on from Zverev. Nadal takes out Sinner in two sets. I, I do believe that Sinner is still not in that tier yet. Not in that tier. In the tier below, solidly. And there you have it. I believe Rafael Nadal wins Rome. Um, can't wait for this tournament. Can't wait to see, um, to see what it brings. All right, should be good. Loaded Monday match analysis, wasn't this? Throwing a lot at you guys, but hope you enjoyed it. Don't forget to subscribe, and I will see you next time.